Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we read chapters 13 to 14. Now, in the last episode, Percy and the crew uh, fought against a wild boar. And after fighting it and making it tamed for some time, Zoe actually, Zoe and Grover, Grover unconsciously, they both state that they actually felt the presence of Pan, which is actually the god that Grover has been wanting to find for so long. And so they found they felt the presence of Pan and now we uh, and that's where the chapter ended. But now we will read chapters 13 through 14. Chapter 13. We visit the junkyard of the gods. We rode the boar until sunset, which was about j- as much as my back end could take. Imagine riding a giant steel brush over a bed of gravel all day. That's about how comfortable boar riding was. I have no idea how many miles we covered, but the mountains faded into the distance and were replaced by miles of flat, dry land. The grass and scrub brush got sparser until we were galloping. Do boars gallop? across the desert as night fell the boar came to a stop at a creek bed and snorted he started drinking the muddy water then ripped a saguaro cactus out of the ground and chewed it needles and all this is as far as he'll go grover said we need to get off while he's eating nobody needed convincing we slipped off the boar's back while he was busy busy ripping up ripping up cacti then we waddled away as best as we could with our saddle sores after its third saguaro and another drink of muddy water, the boar squealed and belched, then rolled around and galloped back toward the east. It likes the mountains better, I guessed. I can't blame it, Dahlia said. Look. Ahead of us was a two-lane road half-covered with sand. On the other side of the road was a cluster of buildings too small to be a town. A boarded-up house, a taco shop that looked like it hadn't been opened since before Zoe Nightshade was born, in a white stucco post office with a sign that said Gillaclaw, Arizona, hanging crooked above the door. Beyond, that was a range of hills, but then I noticed they weren't regular hills. The countryside was way too flat for that. The hills were enormous mounds of old car, cars, appliances, and other scrap metal. It was a junkyard that seemed to go on forever. Whoa, I said. Something tells me we're not going to find a car rental here, Thalia said. She looked at Grover. I don't suppose you got another wild boar up your sleeve. Grover was sniffing the wild wind, looking nervous. He fished out his acorns and threw them into the sand, then played his pipes. They rearranged themselves in a pattern that made no sense to me, but Grover looked concerned. That's us, he said. Those five nuts right there? Which one is me? I asked. The little deformed one, Zoe suggested. Oh, shut up. That cluster right there, Grover said, pointing to the left. That's trouble. A monster? Thalia asked. Grover looked uneasy. Oh, I don't smell anything, which doesn't make sense. But the acorns don't lie. Our next challenge? He pointed straight toward the junkyard, with the sunlight almost gone now. The hills of metal look like something on an alien pale planet. We decided to go camp camp for the night and try the junkyard in the morning. None of us wanted to go dumpster diving in the dark. Zoe and Bianca produced five sleeping bags and foam mattresses out of their backpacks. I don't know how they did it because the packs were tiny, but must have been enchanted to hold so much stuff. I noticed their bows and quivers were also magic. I never really thought about it, but when the hunters needed them, they just appeared slung over their backs. And when they didn't, they were gone. 
The night got chilly fast, so Grover and I collected old boards from the ruined house and Thaya zapped them with an electric shock to start a campfire. Pretty soon, we were just as comfy as you can get in a run-down ghost town in the middle of nowhere. The stars are out, Zoe said. She was right. There were millions of them, with no city lights to turn the sky orange. Amazing, Bianca said. I've never actually seen the Milky Way. This is nothing, Zoe said. In the old days, there were more. Whole constellations have disappeared because of human light pollution. You talk like you're not human, I said. Zoe raised an eyebrow. I'm a hunter. I I care what happens to the wild places of the world. Can the same be said for thee? For you, Thaya corrected, not thee. But you use you for the beginning of the sentence. And for the end, Thaya said. No thou, no thee, just you. Zoe threw up her hands in exasperation. I hate this language. It changes too often. Grover sighed. He was still looking up at the stars like he was thinking about the light pollution problem. If only Pan were here, he would set things right. Zoe nodded sadly. Maybe it was the coffee, Grover said. I was drinking coffee and the wind came. Maybe if I drank more coffee... I was pretty sure coffee had nothing to do with what happened in Cloudcroft, but I didn't have the heart to tell Grover. I thought about the rubber rat and the tiny birds that had suddenly come alive when the wind blew. Grover, do you really think that was Pan? I mean, I know you wanted to be. He sent us help, Grover insisted. I don't know how or why, but it was his presence. After this quest is done, I'm going back to New Mexico and drinking a lot of coffee. It's the best lead we've gotten in 2,000 years. I was so close. I didn't answer. I didn't want to squash Grover's hopes. What I want to know, Thaya said, looking at Bianca, is how you destroyed one of the zombies. There are a lot more out there somewhere. We need to figure out how to fight them. Bianca shook her head. I don't know. I just stabbed it and it went up in flames. Maybe there's something special about your knife, I said. It is the same as mine, Zoe said. Celestial bronze, yes, but mine didn't affect the warriors that way. Maybe you have to hit the skeleton in a certain spot, I said. Bianca looked uncomfortable with everybody paying attention to her. Never mind, Zoe told her. We will find the answer. In the meantime, we should plan our next move. When we get through this junkyard, we must continue west. If we can find a road, we can hitchhike to the nearest city. I think that would be Las Vegas. I was about to protest that Grover and I had had bad experiences in that town, but Bianca's beat us to it. No! She said, not there! She looked really freaked out, like she'd been dropped off the steep end of a roller coaster. Zoe frowned. Why? Bianca took a shaky breath. I, I, I think we stayed there for a while. Nico and I, when we were traveling, and then I can't remember. Suddenly I had a really bad thought. I remember when Bianca told me had told me about Nico and her staying in a hotel for a while. I met Grover's eyes, and I got the feeling he was thinking the same thing. Bianca, I said, that hotel you stayed at, was it possibly called the Lotus Hotel and Casino? Her eyes widened. How could you know that? Oh, great, I said. Wait, I said, what is the Lotus Casino? A couple of years ago, I said, Grover, Annabeth, and I got trapped there. It's designed so you never want to leave. We stayed for about an hour. When we came out, five days had passed. It makes time speed up. No, Bianca said. No, that's not possible. 
You said somebody came and got you out? I remembered. Yes? What did he look like? What did he say? I I don't remember. Please, I really don't want to talk about this. Zoe sat forward. Her eyebrows, her eyebrows knit with concern. You said that Washington, D.C. had changed when you went back last summer. You didn't remember the subway being there. Yes, but... Bianca, Zoe said. Can you tell me the name of the President of the United States right now? Don't be silly, Bianca said. She told us the correct name of the President. And who was the President before that? Bianca thought for a while. Roosevelt, Zoe swallowed. Theodore or Franklin? Franklin, Bianca said. FDR. Like, FDR Drive? I asked, because seriously, that's all I knew about FDR. Bianca, Zoe said. FDR was not the last president. That was about 70 years ago. That's, that, that, that's impossible, Bianca said. I'm not that old. She stared at her hands as to make sure if they weren't wrinkled. Dahlia's eyes turned sad. I guess she knew what it was like to get pulled out of time for a while. It's okay, Bianca. The important thing is you and Nico are safe. You made it out. But but how? I said. We were only in there for an hour and we barely escaped. How could you have escaped after being there for so long? I told you. Bianca looked about ready to cry. A man came in and said it was time to leave. But who? Why did he do it? Before she could answer, we were hit by a blazing light from down the road. The headlights of a car appeared out of nowhere. I was half hoping it was Apollo, come to give us a ride again. But the engine was way too silent for the sun chariot. And besides, it was nighttime. We grabbed our sleeping bags and got out of the way as a deathly white limousine slid to a stop in front of us. The back door of the limo opened right next to me. Before I could step away, the point of a sword touched my throat. I heard the sound of Zoe and Bianca draw their, drawing their bows. As the owner of the z- sword got out of the car, I moved back very slowly. I had to, because he was pushing the point under my chin. He smiled cruelly. Not so fast, are we? Are, not so fast now. Are you a punk? He was a big man with a crew cut. A black leather biker's jacket, black jeans, a white muscle shirt, a, and combat boots. Wrapping around shades hid his eyes. But I knew what was behind those glasses. Hollow sockets filled with flames. Aries, I growled. The war god glanced at my friends. At ease, people. He snapped his fingers and their weapons fell to the ground. This is a friendly meeting. He dug the point of his blade a little farther under my chin. Of course, I'd like to take your head for a trophy, but someone wants to see you. And I never behead my enemies in front of a lady. What lady? Thai asked. Ares looked over at her. Well, well, I heard you were back. He lowered his sword and pushed me away. Thalia, daughter of Zeus, Ares mused. You're not hanging out with very good company. What's your business, Ares? She said. Who's in the car? Ares smiled, enjoying the attention. Oh, I doubt she wants to meet the rest of you. Particularly not them. He jutted his chin towards Zoe and Bianca. Why don't you all go get some tacos while you wait? Only take Percy a few minutes. We will not leave him alone with thee, Lord Ares, Zoe said. Besides, River managed, the taco place is closed. Ares snapped his fingers again. The lights inside the Takiria suddenly blazed to life. The boards flew off the door and the closed sign flipped to open. 
you were saying, good boy? Go on, I told my friends. I'll handle this. I tried to sound more confident than I felt. I don't think Ares was fooled. You are the boy, Ares said. He's big and strong. He's got things under control. My friends reluctantly headed over to the taco restaurant. Ares regarded me with loathing them open the limousine door like a chauffeur. Get inside, punk, he said, and mind your manners. She's not as forgiving, forgiving of rudeness as I am. When I saw her, I, my jaw dropped. I forgot my name. I forgot where I was. I forgot how to speak in complete sentences. She was wearing a red satin dress, and her hair was curled in a cascade of ringlets. Her face was the most beautiful I'd ever seen. Perfect makeup, dazzling eyes, a smile that would have lit up the dark side of the moon. Thinking back on it, I can't tell you who she looked like, or even what color her hair or her eyes were. Pick the most beautiful actress you can think of. The goddess was ten times more beautiful than that. Pick your favorite hair color, eye color, whatever. The goddess had that. When she smiled at me, just for a moment, she looked like a little like Annabeth. Then like this t television actress I used to have a crush on in fifth grade. Then, well, you get the idea. Ah, there you are, Percy, the goddess said. I am Aphrodite. I slipped into the seat across from her and said something like, Um, uh, gah. She smiled. Aren't you sweet? Hold this, please. She handed me a polished mirror the size of a dinner plate and had me hold it up for her. She leaned forward and dabbed at her lipstick, though I couldn't see anything wrong with it. Do you know why you're here? She asked. I wanted to respond. Why couldn't I form a complete sentence? She was only a lady, and a seriously beautiful lady, with eyes like pools of spring water. Whoa. I pinched my own arm, hard. I, 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 I don't know, I managed. Oh dear, Aphrodite said. Still in denial? Outside the car, I could hear Ares chuckling. I had a feeling he could hear every word we said. The idea of him being out there made me angry, and that helped clear my mind. I don't know what you're talking about, I said. Well then, why are you on this quest? Artemis has been captured. Aphrodite rolled her eyes. Oh, Artemis, please. Talk about a hopeless case. I mean, if they were going to kidnap a goddess, she should be breathtakingly beautiful, don't you think? I pity the poor dears who have to imprison Artemis. Boring. But she was chasing a monster, I protested. Really, really bad monster. We have to find it. Aphrodite made me hold the mirror a little higher. She seemed to have found a microscopic problem at the corner of her eye and dabbed at her mascara. Always some monster. But my dear Percy, that is why the others are on this quest. I'm more interested in you. My heart pounded. I didn't want to answer. But her eyes drew an answer right out of my mouth. Annabeth is in trouble. Aphrodite beamed. Exactly. I have to help her, I said. I've been having these dreams. Aw, you even dream about her. That's so cute. No, I mean, that's not what I meant. She made a tisk-tisk sound. Percy, I'm on your side. I'm the reason you're here, after all. I stared at her. What? The poison t-shirt the Stoll brothers gave Phoebe? She said. Don't you think that was an accident? Sending Blackjack to help to find you? Helping you sneak out of the camp? You did that? 
Of course, because really, how boring these hunters are. A quest for some monster, blah, blah, blah. Saving Artemis, let her stay lost, I say. But a quest for true love? Wait a second, I never said... Oh, my dear, you don't need to say it. You do know Annabeth was close to joining the hunters, don't you? I blushed. I wasn't sure. She was about to throw her life away. And you, my dear, you can save her from that. It's so romantic. Uh. Oh, put the mirror down, Aphrodite ordered. I look fine. I hadn't realized I was still holding it. But as soon as I put it down, I noticed my arms were sore. Now listen, Percy, Aphrodite said. The hunters are your enemies. Forget them and Artemis and the monster. That's not important. You just concentrate on finding and saving Annabeth. Do you know where she is? Aphrodite waved her hand irritably. No, no, I leave the details for you. But it's been ages since we've had a good tragic love story. Whoa, whoa. First of all, I never said anything about love. And second, what's up with tragic? Love conquers all, Aphrodite promised. Look at Helen and Paris. Did they let anything come between them? Didn't they start the Trojan War and get thousands of people killed? <sighs> That's not the point. Follow your heart. But I don't know where it's going. My heart, I mean. She smiled sympathetically. She really was beautiful. Not just because she had a pretty face or anything. She believed in love so much. It was impossible not to feel giddy when she talked about it. Not knowing is half the fun, Aphrodite said. Exquisitely painful, isn't it? Not being sure who you love and who loves you. Oh, you kids, it's so cute. I'm gonna cry. No, no, I said. Don't do that. And don't worry, she said. I'm not going to let this be easy and boring for you. No, I have some wonderful surprises in store. Anguish, indecision, oh, you just wait. That's really okay, I told her, don't go to any trouble. You're so cute. I wish all my daughters could break the heart of a boy as nice of you as you. Aphrodite's eyes were tearing up. <laughs> now, you better go and be careful and do be careful in my husband's territory, Percy. Don't take anything. He's awfully fussy about his trinkets and trash. What? I asked. You mean Hephaestus? But the car door opened and Ares grabbed my shoulder, pulling me out of the car and back into the desert night. My audience with the goddess of love was over. You're lucky, punk. Ares pushed me away from the limo. Be grateful. For what? That we're being so nice. If it was up to me, so why haven't you killed me? I shot back. It was a stupid thing to say to the god of war, but being around him always made me feel angry and reckless. Ares nodded, like I'd finally said something intelligent. I'd love to kill you, seriously, he said. But see, I got a situation. Word on Olympus is that you might start the biggest war in history. I can't risk messaging that up. Besides, Aphrodite thinks you're some kind of soap opera star or something. I kill you. That makes me look bad with her. But don't worry. I haven't forgotten my promise. Someday, kid, real soon, you're going to raise your sword to fight. And you're going to remember the wrath of Ares. I balled my fists. Why wait? I beat you once. How's that ankle healing up? He grinned crookedly. Not bad, punk, but you got nothing on the master of taunts. I'll start the fight when I'm good and ready. Until then, get lost. He snapped his fingers and the world did a 360. Spinning in a cloud of red dust, I fell to the ground. 
When I stood up again, the limousine was gone. The road, the taco restaurant, the whole town of Gillaclaw was gone. My friends and I were standing in the middle of the junkyard. Mountains of scrap metal stretched out in every direction. What did she want with you? Bianca asked once I told him about Aphrodite. Oh, uh, not sure, I lied. She said to be careful in her husband's junkyard. She said not to pick anything up. Zoe narrowed her eyes. The goddess of love would not make a special trip to tell thee that. Be careful, Percy. Aphrodite has led many heroes astray. For once, I agree with Zoe, Dolly said. You can't trust Aphrodite. Grover was looking at me funny, being emphatic and all. He could usually read my emotions, and I got the feeling he knew exactly what Aphrodite had talked to me about. So, I said, anxious to change the subject, how do we get out of here? That way, Zoe said. That is west. How can you tell? In the light of the full moon, I was surprised how well I could see her roll her eyes at me. Ursa Major's in the north, she said, which means that must be west. She pointed west, then at the northern constellation, which was hard to make out because there were so many stars. Oh, yeah, I said, the bear thing. Zoe looked offended. Show some respect. It was a fine bear, a worthy opponent. You act like it was real. Guys, Grover broke in, look! We reached the crest of a junk mountain. Piles of metal objects glinted in the moonlight, broken heads of bronze horses, metal legs from human statues, smashed chariots, tons of shields and swords and other weapons, along with more modern stuff, like cars that gleamed gold and silver refrigerators, washing machines and computer monitors. Whoa, Bianca said. That stuff? Some of it looks like real gold. It is, Talia said grimly. Like Percy said, don't touch anything. This is the junkyard of the gods. Junk? Grover picked up a beautiful crown made of gold, silver, and jewels. It was broken on one side as if it had been split by an axe. You call this junk? He bit off a point and began to chew. It's delicious. Thaya swatted the crown out of his hands. I'm serious. Look, Bianca said. She raced down the hill, tripping over bronze coils and golden plates. She picked up a bow that glowed silver in the moonlight. A hunter's bow. She yelped in surprise as the bow began to shrink and became a hair club shaped like a crescent moon. It's just like Percy's sword. Zoe's face was grim. Leave it, Bianca. But it is here for a reason. Anything thrown away in this junkyard must stay in this junkyard, in this yard. It is defective or cursed. Bianca reluctantly set the hair clip down. I don't like this place, Thalia said. She gripped the shaft of her spear. You think we're going to get attacked by killer refrigerators? I asked. She gave me a hard look. Zoe's right, Percy. Things get thrown away here for a reason. Now, come on, let's get across the yard. That's the second time you've agreed with Zoe. I muttered, but Thalia ignored me. We started picking our way through the hills and valleys of junk. The stuff seemed to go on forever, and if it hadn't been for Ursa Major, we would have gotten lost. All the hills pretty much looked the same. I'd like to say we left the stuff alone, but there was too much cool junk not to check out some of it. Found an electric guitar shaped like Apollo's lyre that was so sweet I had to pick it up. Grover found a broken tree made out of metal. It had been chopped to pieces, but some of the branches still had golden birds in them, and they whirred around when Grover picked them up, trying to flap their rings. Finally, we saw the edge of the junkyard about half a mile ahead of us. The lights of a highway stretching through the desert, but between us and the road, 
What is that? Bianca gasped. Ahead of us was a hill much bigger and longer than the others. It was like a metal mesa, the length of a football field and as tall as goalposts. At one end of the mesa was a row of ten thick metal columns wedged tightly together. Bianca frowned. They look like... Toes, Grover said. Bianca nodded. Really, really large toes. Zoe and Thalia exchanged nervous looks. Let's go around, Thalia said. Far around. But the road is right over there, I protested. Quicker to climb over. Bing! Thalia hefted her spear and Zoe threw her bow. But then I realized it was only Grover. He'd have thrown a piece of scrap metal at the toes and hit one making a deep echo as if the column were hollow. Why did you do that? Zoe demanded. Grover, Grover cringed. Uh, I don't know. I uh, don't like fake feet. Come on. Dahlia looked at me. Around. I didn't argue. The toes were starting to freak me out too. And who sculpts ten foot tall metal toes and sticks them in the junkyard? After several minutes of walking, we finally stepped onto the highways. On an abandoned but well-lit stretch of black asphalt. We made it out, Zoe said. Thank the gods. But apparently the gods didn't want to be thanked. At that moment, I heard a sound like a thousand trash compactors crushing metal. I whirled around. Behind us, the scrap metal was boiling, rising up. The ten toes tilted over, and I realized why they looked like toes. They were toes! The thing that rose up from the metal was a bronze giant in a full Greek Greek battle armor. He was impossibly tall, a skyscraper with legs and arms. He gleams wickedly in the moonlight. He looked down at us and his face was deformed. The left side was partially melted off. His joints creaked with rust and across his armored chest, written in thick dust by some giant finger, were the words, Wash me. Talos! Zoe gasped. Who's, who's Talos? I started. One of Hephaestus' creations, Thalia said. But that can't be the original. It's too small. A prototype, maybe. A defective model. The metal giant didn't like the word defective. He moved one hand to his sword belt and drew his weapon. The sound of it coming out of his sheath was horrible. Metal screeching against metal. The blade was a rusty hundred feet long easy. It looked rusty and dull, but I didn't figure that mattered. Getting hit with that thing would like would be like getting hit with a battleship. Someone took something, Zoe said. Who took something? She stared accusingly at me. I shook my head. I'm a lot of things, but I'm not a thief. Bianca didn't say anything. I could swear she looked guilty, but I didn't have much time to think about it. Because the giant ta- defective Talos took one step toward us, closing half the distance and making the ground shake. Run! Grover yelped. Great advice, except that it was hopeless. At a leisurely stroll, as a, at a leisurely stroll, this thing could outdistance us easily. We split up the way we'd done with the Nemean lion. Thaya drew her shield and held it up as she ran down the highway. The giant swung his sword and took out a row of power lines, which exploded in sparks and scattered across Thalia's path. Zoe's arrows whistled toward the creature's face, but shattered harmlessly against the metal. Grover brayed like a baby goat and went climbing up a mountain of metal. Bianca and I ended up next to each other, hiding behind a broken chariot. "'You took something,' I said. "'That bow!' "'No!' she said, but her voice was quivering. 
Give it back. Throw it down. I, I didn't take the bow. Besides, it's too late. What did you take? Before she could answer, I heard a massive creaking noise, and a shadow blotted out from the sky. Move! I tore down the hill, Bianca right behind me, as the giant's foot smashed a crater on the ground where we've been hiding. Hey, Talos! Grover yelled, but the monster raised his sword, looking down at Bianca and me. Grover played a quick melody on his pipes. Over at the highway, the down power lines began to dance. I understood what Grover was doing, going to do a split second before it happened. One of the poles with power lines still attached flew towards Talos' back leg and wrapped around its calf. The line sparked and sent a jolt of electricity up the giant's backside. Talos whirled around, creaking and sparking. Grover had bought us a few seconds. Come on, I told Bianca, but she stayed frozen. From her pocket, she brought out a small metal figurine, a statue of God. It... It wasn't for Nico. It was the only statue he didn't have. How can you think of mythal magic at a time like this? I said. There were tears in her eyes. Throw it down, I said. Maybe the giant will leave us alone. She dropped it reluctantly, but nothing happened. The giant kept coming after Grover. It stabbed its sword into a junk hill, missing Grover by a few feet, but scrap metal made an avalanche over him. And then I couldn't see him anymore. No! Thalia yelled. She pointed her spear and a blue arc of lightning shot out, hitting the monster in his rusty knee, which buckled. The giant collapsed, but immediately started to rise again. It was hard to tell if it could feel anything. There there weren't any emotions in its half-melted face, but I got the sense that it was about as ticked off as a 20-story tall metal warrior could be. He raised his foot to stomp, and I saw that his soul was treated like the bottom of a sneaker, There was a hole in his heel, like a large manhole. Then there were red words painted around it, which I deciphered only after the foot came down. For maintenance only. Crazy idea time, I said. Bianca looked at me nervously. Anything. I told her about the maintenance hatch. There may be in to control the thing. Switches or something. I'm going to get inside. How? You'll have to stand under its foot. You'll be crushed. Distracted, I said. I'll have just enough time to... T- I'll, ju- I'll just have to time it right. Bianca's jaw tightened. No, I'll go. You can't. You're new to this. You'll die. It's my fault the monster came after us, she said. It's my responsibility. Here. She picked up the little god statue and pressed it into my hand. If anything happens, give that to Nico. Tell him... Tell him I'm sorry. Bianca, no! But she wasn't waiting for me. She charged at the monster's left foot. Thalia had its attention for the moment. She learned that the giant was big, but slow. If you could stay close to it and not get smashed, you could run around and stay alive. He still was working so far. Bianca got right next to the giant's foot, trying to balance herself on the metal scraps that swayed and shifted with his own weight. Zoe yelled, What are you doing? Get it to raise its foot, she said. Zoe shot an arrow towards the monster's face and it flew straight into one nostril. The giant straightened and shook its head. Hey, junk boy, I yelled. Down here. I ran up to its big toe and stabbed it with the riptide. The magic blade cut a gash in the bronze. Unfortunately, my plan worked. Talos looked down at me and raised his foot to squash me like a bug. I didn't see what Bianca was doing. I had to turn and run. The foot came down about two inches behind me and I was knocked into the air. I hit something hard and sat up, dazed. I had been thrown into an Olympus air refrigerator. 
The monster was about to finish me off, but Grover somehow dug himself out of the junk pile. He played his pipes frantically, and his music sent another power line pole whacking against Talos's thigh. The monster turned. Grover should have run, but he must have been too exhausted from the effort of so much magic. He took two steps, fell, and didn't get back up. Grover! Thali and I both ran toward him, but I knew we'd be too late. The monster raised his sword to smash Grover, then he froze. Taylor cocked his head to one side like he was hearing strange new music. He started moving his arms and legs in weird ways, toing the funky chicken. Then he made a fist and punched himself in the face. Go, Bianca! I yelled. Zoe looked horrified. She is inside? The monster staggered around, and I really realized that we were still in danger. Thali and I grabbed Grover and ran with him toward the highway. Zoe was already ahead of us. She yelled, Help Bianca get out! The giant hit, him, hit itself in the head again and dropped his sword. A shudder ran through his whole body, and he staggered toward the power lines. Look out! I yelled, but it was too late. The giant's ankle snared the lines, and blue flickers of electricity shot up his body. I hoped the inside was insulated. I had no idea what was going on in there. The giant careened his back into the junkyard, and his right hand fell off, landing in the scrap metal with a horrible clang. His left arm came loose, too. He was falling apart at the joints. Tails began to run. Wait! Zoe yelled. We ran after him, but there was no way we could keep up. Pieces of the robot were kept falling off, getting in our way. The giant crumbled from the top down. His head, his chest, finally his legs collapsed. When we reached the wreckage, we searched frantically, yelling Bianca's name. We crawled around in the vast hollow pieces, and the legs and the head. We searched until the sun started to rise, but no luck. Zoe sat down and wept. I was stunned to see her cry. Daya yelled in rage and impaled her sword in the giant's smashed face. We, ha- we can keep searching. I said, it's light now. We'll find her. No, we won't. Grover said miserably. It happened just as it was supposed to. What are you talking about? I demanded. He looked up at me with big watery eyes. Prophecy. One shall be lost in the land without rain. Why hadn't I seen it? Why had I let her go instead of me? Here, we were in the desert, and Bianca D'Angelo was gone. And that is the end of chapter 13. But don't worry, right after this break, we'll read chapter 14. I have a damn problem. And we are back from the ads, and now we'll read chapter 14, I Have a Damn Problem. At the edge of the dump, we found a tow truck so old it might have been thrown away itself, but the engine started, and it had a full tank of gas, so we decided to borrow it. Thalia drove. She didn't seem as stunned as Zoe or Grover or me. The skeletons are still out there, she reminded us. We need to keep moving. She navigated us through the desert, under clear blue skies. The sand so bright it hurt to look at. Zoe sat up front with Thalia. Grover and I sat up in the pickup bed, leaning against the tow winch. The air was cool and dry, but the nice weather just seemed like an insult after losing Bianca. My hand closed around the little figurine that cost her her life. I still couldn't even tell what god it was supposed to be. Nico would know. Oh gods, what was I going to tell Nico? I wanted to believe that Bianca was still alive somewhere, but I had a 
bad feeling that she was gone for good. It should have been me, I said. I should have gone to the giant. Don't say that, Grover panicked. It's bad enough Annabeth is gone, and now Bianca? Do you think I could stand it if... He sniffled. Do you think anybody would have been my best friend? Ah, Grover. He wiped under his eyes with an oily cloth that left his face grimy, like he had on war paint. I'm... I'm okay. But he wasn't okay. Ever since the encounter in New Mexico, whatever had happened when that wild wind blew through, he seemed really fragile, even more emotional than usual. I was afraid to talk to him about it because he might start bawling. At least there was one good thing about having a friend who gets freaked out more than you do. I realized I couldn't stay depressed. I had to set aside thinking about Bianca and keep us going forward, the way Talia was doing. I wonder what she and Zoe were talking about in the front of the truck. The tow truck ran out of gas at the edge of a river canyon. That was just as well because the road dead-ended. Talia got out and slammed the door. Immediately, one of the tires blew. Great. What now? I scanned the horizon. There wasn't much to see. Desert in all directions. Occasional clumps of barren mountains plopped here and there. The canyon was the only thing interesting. The river itself wasn't very big. Maybe 50 yards across, green water with a few rapids, but it carved a huge scar out of the desert. The rock cliffs dropped away below us. There's a path, Grover said. We could get to the river. I tried to see what he was talking about and finally noticed a tiny ledge winding down the cliff face. That's a goat path, I said. So? The rest of us aren't goats. We can make it, Grover said. I think... I thought about that. I'd done cliffs before, but I didn't like them. Then I looked over at Thalia and saw how pale she'd gone. Her problem with heights, she'd never be able to do it. No, I said. I, I think we should go far up, farther upstream. Grover said, but... Come on, I said. A walk won't hurt us. I glanced at Thalia. Her eyes said a quick thank you. We followed the river about half a mile before coming to an easier slope that led down to the water. On the shore was a canoe rental operation that was closed for the season. But I left a stack of golden drachmas on the counter and a note saying, I owe you two canoes. We need to go upstream, Zoe said. It was the first time I'd heard her speak since the junkyard, and I was worried about how bad she sounded, like somebody with the flu. The rapids are too swift. Leave that to me. I said, we put, we, we put the canoes in the water. Dahlia pulled me aside as we were getting back, get, getting the oars. Thanks for back there. Don't mention it. Can you really? She nodded to the rapids, you know. I think so. Usually I'm good with water. Would you take Zoe? She asked. I think uh, maybe you can talk to her. She's not going to like that. Please, I don't know if I can stand being in the same boat as her. She's she's starting to worry me. It was about the last thing I wanted to do, but I nodded. Thalia's shoulder relaxed. I owe you one. Two. One and a half, Thalia said. She smiled, and for a second, I remembered that I actually liked her when she wasn't yelling, yelling at me. She turned and helped Grover get their canoe into the water. As it turned out, I didn't even need to control the currents. As soon as we got in the river, I looked over the edge of the boat and found a couple of naiads staring at me. 
They look like regular teenage girls, the kind you'd see in any mall, except for the fact that they were underwater. Hey, I said. They made a bubbling sound that may have been giggling. I wasn't sure. I had a hard time understanding naiads. We're heading upstream, I told him. Do you think you could... Before I could even finish, the naiads each chose a canoe and began pushing us up the river. We started so fast, Grover fell into his canoe with his hoofs sticking up in the air. I hate naiads, Zoe grumbled. A stream of water squirted up from the back of the boat and hit Zoe in the face. She devils! Zoe went for her bow. Whoa, I said. They're just playing. Cursed water spirits, they never forgiven me. Forgiven you for what? She slung her bow back over her shoulder. It was a long time ago. Never mind. We sped up the river, the cliffs looming up on either side of us. What happened to Bianca wasn't your fault, I told her. It's my, it was my fault. I let her go. I figured this would give Zoe an excuse to start yelling at me. At least that might shake her out of feeling depressed. Instead, her shoulders slumped. No, Percy, I pushed her into going on the quest. I was too anxious. She was a powerful half-blood. She had a kind heart as well. I, I thought she would be the next lieutenant. But you're the lieutenant. She gripped the strap of her quiver. She looked more tired than I'd ever seen her. Nothing can last forever, Percy. Over 2,000 years I've led the hunt, and my wisdom has not improved. Now Artemis herself is in danger. Look, you can't blame yourself for that. If I had insisted on going with her, you think you could have fought something powerful enough to kidnap Artemis? There's nothing you could have done. Zoe didn't answer. The closer along the river were getting taller. Longer shadows fell across the water, making it a lot colder, even though the day was bright. Without thinking about it, I took Riptide out of my pocket. Zoe looked at the pen, and her expression was pained. You made this, I said. Who told thee? I had a dream about it. She studied me. I was sure she was going to call me crazy, but she just sighed. It was a gift and a mistake. Who was the hero? I asked. Zoe shook her head. Do not, do not make me say his name. I swore to never speak it again. You act like I should know him. I'm sure you do, hero. Don't all you boys want to be just like him? Her voice was so bitter. I decided to not ask what she meant. I looked down at Riptide for the first time. I wonder if it was cursed. Your mother was a water goddess? I asked. Yes, Pleione. She had five daughters, my sisters and I, the Hesperides. Those were the girls who lived in a garden at the edge of the west, with the golden apple tree and a garden dragon, gar- dragon guarding it? Yes, Zoe said wistfully. Ladin. But weren't there only four sisters? They are now. I was exiled, forgotten, blotted out as if I, was never exist- I, as if I never existed. Why? Zoe pointed to my pen. Because I betrayed my family and helped a hero. You won't find that in the legend either. He never spoke of me. After his direct assault on Ladin failed, I gave him the idea of how to steal the apples. How to trick my father, but he took all the credit. But... Gurgle, gurgle. The naiad spoke in my mind. The canoe was slowing down. I looked ahead, and I saw why. This was as far as they could take us. The river was blocked. A dam the size of a football stadium stood in our path. Hoover Dam? Thought I said, it's huge. 
We stood at the river's edge, looking up at the curve of concrete that loomed between the cliffs. People were walking along the top of the dam. They were so tiny, they looked like fleas. The naiads had left with a lot of grumbling. Not in words I could understand, but it was obvious they hated this dam blocking up their nice river. Our canoes floated back downstream, swerving in the wake from the dam's discharge vents. 700 feet, feet tall, I said, built in the 1930s. Five million cubic acres of water, Dahlia said. Grover sighed. Oh, largest construction project in the United States. Zoe stared at us. How do you all know that? Annabeth, I said. She likes architecture. She was nuts about monuments, Dahlia said. Spouted facts all the time, Grover sniffled. <laughs> so annoying. I wish you were here, I said. The others nodded. Zoe was still looking at us strangely, but I didn't care. Seemed like cruel fate that we'd come to Hoover Dam, one of Annabeth's personal favorites, and she wasn't here to see it. We should go up there, I said, for her sake, just to say we've been. You are mad, Zoe decided, but that's where the road is. She pointed to a huge parking garage next to the top of the dam. So sightseeing it is. We had to walk for almost an hour before we found a path that led up to the road. It came up on the east side of the river. Then we straggled back toward the dam. It was cold and windy on top. On one side, a big lake spread out, ringed out by barren, desperate mountains. On the other side, the dam dropped away like the world's most dangerous skateboard ramp, lied down to the river 700 feet below, and water that churned from the dam's vents. Thalia walked in the middle of the road, far away from the edges. Grover kept sniffing the wind and looking nervous. He didn't say anything, but I knew he smelled monsters. How close are they? I asked him. He shook his head. Maybe not close. The wind on the dam, the desert all around us. The scent can probably carry for miles, but it's coming from several directions. I don't like that. I didn't either. It was already Wednesday, only two days until winter solstice, and we still had a long way to go. We didn't need any more monsters. There's a snack bar in the visitor center, Thali said. You've been here before? Once. To see the guardians. She pointed to the far end of the dam. Carved into the side of the cliff was a little plaza with two big bronze statues. Statues. They looked kind of like Oscar statues with the wings. <clears throat> they were dedicated to Zeus when the dam was built, Thali said. A gift from Athena. Tourists were cluttered and clustered all around them. They seemed to be looking at the statue's feet. What are they doing? I asked. Rubbing the toes, Thalia said. They think it's good luck. Why? She shook her head. Mortals get crazy ideas. They don't know the statues are sacred to Zeus, but they know there's something special about them. When were you here last? Did they talk to you or anything? Thalia's expression darkened. I could tell that she'd come here before hoping for exactly that. Some kind of sign from her dad. Some connection. No, they don't do anything. They're just big metal statues. I thought about the last big metal statue we'd run into. That hadn't gone so well. But I decided not to bring it up. Let us find that damn snack bar, Zoe said. We should eat while we can. Grover cracked a smile. The damn snack bar? Zoe blinked. Yes. What is funny? Nothing. Grover said, trying to keep a straight face. I could use some 
damn french fries. Even Thalia smiled at that. And I need to use the damn restroom. Maybe it was the fact that we were so tired and strung out emotionally, but I started cracking up. And Thalia and Grover joined in while Zoe just looked at us. I do not understand. I want to use the damn water fountain, Grover said. And <sighs> Thalia tried to catch her breath. I want to buy a damn t-shirt. I busted up. And I probably would have kept her laughing all day. But then I heard a noise. The smile melted off my face. I wonder if the noise was just in my head, but Grover had stopped laughing too. He was looking around confused. Did I just hear a cow? A damn cow? Thalia laughed. No, Grover said. I'm serious. Zoe listened. I hear nothing. Thalia was looking at me. Percy, are you okay? Yeah, I said. You guys go ahead. I'll be right in. What's wrong? Grover asked. Nothing, I said. I just need a minute to think. They hesitated, but I guess I must have looked upset because they finally went into the visitor center without me. As soon as they were gone, I jogged over to the north edge of the dam and looked over. She was about 30 feet below in the lake, but I could see her clearly. My friend from Long Island Sound, Bessie the Cow Serpent. I looked around. There were groups of kids running along the dam. A lot of senior citizens, some families, but nobody seemed to be paying Bessie any attention yet. What are you doing here? I asked her. Her voice was urgent, like she was trying to warn me of something. How did you get here? I asked. You were thousands of miles from Long Island, hundreds of miles inland. There was no way she could have swum all the way here. And yet, here she was. Bessie swam in a circle and butted her head against the side of the dam. She wanted me to come with her. She was telling me to hurry. I can't. My friends are inside. She looked at me. She looked at me with her sad brown eyes. Then she gave one more urgent, did a flip, and disappeared into the water. I hesitated. Something was wrong. She was trying to tell me that. I considered jumping over the side and following her, but then I tensed. The hair on my arms bristled. I looked down the damn road to the east, and I saw two men walking slowly toward me. They wore gray camouflage outfits that flickered over skeletal bodies. They passed through a group of kids and pushed them aside. A kid yelled, Hey! One of the warriors turned, his face changing momentarily into a skull. The kid yelled, and his whole group backed away. I ran for the visitor center. I was almost to the stairs when I heard tires squeal. On the west side of the dam, a black van swerved to a stop in the middle of the road, nearly plowing into some old people. The van doors opened and more skeletal warriors piled out. I was surrounded. I bolted down the stairs and through the museum entrance. The security guard at the metal detector yelled, Hey, kid! But I didn't stop. I ran through the exhibits and ducked behind the tour group. I looked for my friends, but I couldn't see them anywhere. Where was the damn snack bar? Stop! The metal detector guy yelled. There was no place to go but into an elevator with the tour group. I ducked inside just as the door closed. We'll be going down 700 feet, 
Our tour guide, our, our tour guide said cheerfully. She was a park ranger with long black hair pulled back in a ponytail and tinted glasses. I guess she hadn't noticed that I was being chased. Don't worry, ladies and gentlemen. The elevator hardly ever breaks. Does this go to the snack bar? I asked her. A few people behind me chuckled. The tour guide looked at me. Something about her gaze made my skin tingle. To the turbans, young man, the lady said. Weren't you listening to my fascinating presentation upstairs? Oh, uh, sure. Is there any, any other, another way out of the dam? It's a dead end, a tourist behind me said. For heaven's sake, the only way out is the other elevator. The doors opened. Go right ahead, folks, the tour guide told us. Another ranger is waiting for you at the end of the corridor. I didn't have much choice but to go out with the group. And young man, the tour guide called. I looked back. She stared. She's take, she'd taken off her glasses. Her eyes were startlingly gray, like storm clouds. There is always a way for those clever enough to find it. The doors closed with the tour guide still inside, leaving me alone. Before I could think too much about the woman in the elevator, a ding came from the, around the corner. The second elevator was opening, and I heard an unmistakable sound. The clattering of skeleton teeth. I ran after the tour group through a tunnel carved out of solid rock. It seemed to run forever. The walls were moist and the air hummed with electricity and the roar of water. I came out on a U-shaped balcony that overlooked this huge warehouse area. Fifty feet below, enormous turbines were running. There was a big room, but I didn't see any other exit unless I wanted to jump into the turbines and get churned up to make electricity. I didn't. Another tour guide was talking over the microphone, telling the tourists about water supplies in Nevada. I prayed that the Ayazoe and Grover were okay. They might already be captured or eating at the snack bar, completely unaware that we were being surrounded. And stupid me, I had trapped myself in a hole hundreds of feet below the surface. I worked my way around the crowd, trying not to be too obvious about it. There was a hallway at the other side of the balcony, maybe some other place I could hide. I kept my hand on Riptide, ready to strike. By the time I got to the opposite side of the balcony, my nerves were shot. I backed into the little hallway and watched the tunnel I'd come from. Then, right behind me, I heard a sharp like the sound of, like the voice of a skeleton. Without thinking, I uncapped Riptide and spun, slashing with my sword. The girl I just tried to slice in half yelped and dropped her Kleenex. Oh my god! She shouted, do you always kill people when they blow their nose? The first thing that went through my mind, my head, was that the sword hadn't hurt her. It had peed plastic clean through her body, harmlessly. You're mortal. She looked at me in disbelief. What's that supposed to mean? Of course I'm mortal. How did you get that sword past security? I didn't. Wait, you can see it's a sword? The girl rolled her eyes, which were green like mine. She had frizzy reddish-brown hair. Her no nose was also red, like she had a cold. She wore a big maroon Harvard sweatshirt and jeans that were covered with marker stains and little holes, like she spent for free time poking with them with a fork. Well, it's either a sword or the biggest toothpick in the world, she said. And why didn't it hurt me? I mean, now that I'm complaining, who are you? And whoa, what is that you're wearing? Is that made of lion fur? She asked so many questions so fast. It was like she was throwing rocks at me. I couldn't think of what to say. I looked at my sleeves to see if the Nemean lion pelt had somehow changed back to fur, but it still looked like a brown winter coat to me. I knew the skeleton warriors were still chasing me. I had no time to waste, but I just stared at the red-headed girl. 
Then I remember what Thalia had done at Westover to Hall to fool the teachers. Maybe I can manipulate the mist. I concentrated hard and snapped my fingers. You don't see a, sir, a sword, I told the girl. It's just a ballpoint pen. She blinked. Um, no, it's a sword, weirdo. Who are you? I demanded. She huffed indignantly. Ugh! Rachel Elizabeth Dare. Now, are you going to answer my questions or should I scream for security? No! I said, I mean, I'm, in, I'm kind of in trouble. I'm in, tr I'm in a hurry. I'm in trouble. In a hurry or in trouble? Um, sort of both. She looked over my shoulder and her eyes widened. Bathroom! What? Bathroom behind me now! I don't know why, but I listened to her. I slipped inside the boys' bathroom and left Rachel Elizabeth Dare standing outside. Later, that seemed cowardly to me. I'm also pretty sure it saved my life. I heard the clattering, hissing sounds of skeletons as the came closer. My grip tightened on Riptide. What was I thinking? I left a mortal girl out there to die. I was preparing to burst out and fight when R Rachel Elizabeth Dare started talking in that rapid-fire machine gun way of hers. Oh my god, did you see that kid? It's about time you got here. He tried to kill me. He had a sword, for God's sake. You security guys learned sword-swinging lunatic inside a national landmark. I mean, jeez, he ran that way toward those turban and thingies. I think he went over to the side or something. Maybe he fell. The skeletons clattered excitedly. I heard them moving off. Rachel opened the door. All clear, but you better hurry. She looked shaken. Her face was gray and sweaty. I peeked around the corner. Three skeleton warriors were running toward the other end of the balcony. The way to the elevator was clear for seconds. I owe you one, Rachel Elizabeth Dare. What are those things? She asked. They look like... Skeletons? She nodded uneasily. Do yourself a favor. I said, forget it. Forget you ever saw me. Forget you tried to kill me? Yeah, that too. But who are you? Percy, I started to say. Then the skeletons turned around. Gotta go! What kind of name is Percy gotta go? I bolted for the exit. The cafe was packed with kids enjoying the best part of the tour. The damn lunch. Thalia, Zoe, and Grover were just sitting down with their food. <sighs> we need to leave. Now! But we just got our burritos, Thalia said. Zoe stood up, muttering an ancient Greek curse. He's right, look! The cafe windows wrapped all the way around the observation floor, which gave us a beautiful panoramic floor view of the skeletal army that had come to kill us. I counted two on the east side of the damn road, blocking the way to Arizona, three more on the west side guarding Nevada. All of them were armed with batons and pistols. But our medium problem was a lot closer. The three skeletal warriors who had been chasing me in the turbine room now appeared on the stairs. They saw me from the across the cafeteria and clattered their teeth. Elevator! Grover said. We bolted that direction, but the doors opened with a pleasant ding, and three more warriors stepped out. Every warrior was accounted for, minus the one Bianca had blasted to flames in New Mexico. We were completely surrounded. Then Grover had a brilliant idea. Totally Grover-like idea. Burrito fight! He yelled and flung his guacamole grande at the nearest skeleton. Now, if you've never been hit by a flying burrito, count yourself lucky. In terms of deadly projectiles, it's right up there with grenades and cannonballs. Grover's lunge hit the skeleton and knocked his skull clean off his shoulders. I'm not sure what the other kids in the cafe saw, but they went crazy and started throwing their burritos and baskets of chips and sodas at each other, shrieking and screaming. 
The skeletons tried to aim their guns, but it was hopeless. Bodies and food and drinks were flying everywhere. In chaos, Thalia and I tackled the other two skeletons on the stairs and sent them flying into the condiment table. Then we all raced downstairs. Guacamole grandes whizzing past our heads. What now? Grover asked as he burst, outside, uh, burst uh, outside. I didn't have an answer. The warriors on the road were closing in from either direction. We ran across the street to the pavilion with the winged bronze statues, but that just put our backs to the mountain. The skeletons moved forward, forming our crescent around us. Their brethren from the cafe were running up to join them. One was still putting its skull back into its shoulders. Another one was covered in ketchup and mustard. Two more had burritos lodged in their rib cases. They didn't look happy about it. They drew batons and advanced. Four against eleven, Zoe muttered, and they cannot die. It's been nice adventuring with you guys, Grover said, his voice trembling. Something shiny caught the corner of my eye, and I glanced behind me at the statue's feet. Whoa, I said. Their toes are really bright. Percy, I said. This isn't the time. But I couldn't help staring at the two broad, giant bronze guys with tall bladed wings like letter openers. They were weathered brown, except for their toes, which shone like new pennies from all the time. Zeus had, people had rubbed them for good luck. Good luck! The blessing of Zeus! I thought about the tour guide in the elevator. Her gray eyes and her smile. What had she said? There's always way, there is always a way for those clever enough to find it. Talia! I said, pray to your dad. She glared at me. He never answers. Just this once, I pleaded. Ask for help. I think... I think the statues can give us some luck. Six skeletons raised their guns. The other five came forward with batons. Fifty feet away, forty feet. Do it! I yelled. No! I said. He won't answer me! This time is different. Who says? I hesitated. Athena, I think. Thalia scowled at me like she was sure I'd gone crazy. Try it, Grover pleaded. Thalia closed her eyes. Her lips moved in silent prayer. I put in my own prayer to Annabeth's mom, hoping I was right that it had been her in that elevator, that she was the one she had, was trying to help us save her daughter. Nothing happened. The skeletons closed in. I raised Riptide to defend myself. Thalia held up her shield. Zoe pushed Grover behind her and aimed an arrow at the skeleton's head. A shadow fell over me. I thought maybe it was the shadow of death. Then I realized it was the shadow of an enormous wing. The skeletons looked up too late. A flash of bronze and all five of the baton wielders were swept aside. The other skeletons opened fire. I raised my lion coat for protection, but I didn't need it. The bronze angels stepped in front of us and folded their wings like shields. Bullets pinged off of them like rain off a corrugated roof. Both angels slashed outward and the skeletons went flying across the road. Man, it feels good to stand up, the first angel said. His voice sounded tinny and rusty like he hadn't had a drink since he's been built will you look at my toes the other said holy zeus what were the tours thinking as stunned as i was by the angels i was more concerned with the skeletons a few of them were getting up again reassembling bony hands groping for their weapons trouble i said get us out of here thalia yelled both angels looked down at her zeus's kid yes could i get a please miss zeus's kid an angel asked Please! The angels looked at each other and shrugged. Good use a stretch, one decided. 
And the next thing I knew, one of them grabbed Thalia and me, and the other grabbed Zoe and Grover, and we flew straight up over the dam and the river, the skeleton warriors shrinking to tiny specks below us, and the sound of gunfire echoing off the sides of the mountains. And that is the end of chapter 14. That was pretty amazing how maybe the tour guide was could actually be Athena. Because, you know, Athena, like, that was probably one of the coolest ways you could... Or one of the most interesting ways that a god has act, or a goddess has actually showed up to meet Percy. But, yeah, next week we will read chapters 15 through 16. And until then, stay safe and stay out of boredom.